Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back in to another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me as always, Colin Taylor, Gamecock Central staff writer and just general sports media legend. <laughs> legend. Legend. You were legend. legendary for almost predicting that Virginia win. I'm giving you credit for that. Okay, I'll take it. Because you said you were going to predict it if we did predictions, yeah. and it didn't quite happen. Now, a lot has happened since then. We obviously talked about the disappointing Stetson loss just eight days after that Virginia win. But that's all in the past, because for South Carolina, it's all about SEC play. That starts tomorrow, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, or today. We're recording this you know, late Monday evening. Listen to it Monday twice. Evening. Listen to it Monday, and then listen to it Tuesday, too. Exactly, yeah. so that both of those things can yeah. be true. South Carolina gets SEC play tipped off Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock at the Colonial Life Arena, against the Florida Gators, who actually already started SEC play. They played their first game this weekend. They won that one against Alabama. An unbelievable game, 104 to 98 or 96. I don't remember what the final score 98. was. 98, 104 to 98 in overtime. Uh, incredibly high-scoring game. I don't think South Carolina should necessarily expect or hope for this game no. to be played into the 90s and low 100s. But uh, a little bit scary if you're a Carolina fan, looking at all the firepower that Florida was able to to pour into four quarter or uh, two halves and then overtime. I hate that basketball's halves, by the way. Yeah. College fans <laughs> basketball. It's weird. It's the I, only thing. I, the only thing I like about it is it allows you to get into a little bit more of a flow than 10 four-minute quarters. I guess so. I, I feel like the time – I feel like you could have fewer timeouts if you did quarters, but I don't know that. I feel like you could structure it such that you just have like five and then you have like your quarter. I don't know if they could just condense it. It's just weird because it's yeah, like I agree. women's college basketball, high school basketball. Like I coached my brother in church league. That was quarters. Obviously, the NBA, the WNBA, all quarters. But anyways. So anyway, <laughs> South Carolina, Florida was able to pour in 102 points or 104 points or whatever it was in two halves plus overtime against Alabama. They're dumb. They're started SEC play. They're 1-0. They're a really good team. And for South Carolina, had a little bit of momentum with Virginia. Lost all that momentum and maybe then some against Stetson. But... They also didn't have a lot of momentum going into SEC play last year when they played Florida down in Gainesville. Obviously, we talked about it a lot in the podcast last week. Chris Silva's buzzer beater really injected some much-needed life into the season. So let's just start there. How big is this for South Carolina? Is this like already, if if you're someone that believes in must-wins, a must-win, and if you're not, a very, very, very important game? Yeah, I mean, bare minimum, this is an incredibly important game. And I think you need, if you're South Carolina, you need to have something good happen for you, whether that's this Florida game, um, or one of the next three or four games in SEC play, you need something good for them to happen. And it starts, what, Tuesday night whenever you're listening to this. So, uh, yeah, this is one of those where if you can go out and beat a Florida team that will contend to make a the NCAA tournament and could go deep into the NCAA tournament, has the talent to do it, um, it's kind of a barometer of where you are right now through your first, whatever, 13 games. Uh, and, and this is an important one for South Carolina to see if they can bounce back from what is a pretty terrible loss against Stetson. So they can do that, whether that's a five-point win or, you know, playing Florida close. You certainly feel good about South Carolina if you can come out and and see some improvement from that game um, last Monday. 
So I think the way that, that I want to do this, and we can change this going forward, if y'all like this or hate this, let us know. You know, we're open to all sorts of feedback, but I figure we'll start with the opponent, talk about what South Carolina needs to do. We'll, of course, cast our reverse jinx for the game. We've actually got a, a pretty good track record of doing that. We didn't do a pre-Stetson podcast, which ultimately ended up being a good thing because we probably would have gotten We reverse our jinxed ourselves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We would have gotten probably most of those predictions wrong. We'll have our reverse jinx. And then since you and I don't like to do score predictions, I was thinking about this earlier, and this is the first time I'm bouncing this off of you, but play it out sort of like we did against, uh, I don't remember if it was, I think I guess it was for Virginia, where yeah. we said, if South Carolina wins this game, then it will probably have to be a game like this. So like the most hypothetical kind of final score prediction. Um, but with that said, let's go ahead and get started with the opponent. We know what Florida can do. They're nine and four. Those four losses are generally quality losses. They've lost to Florida State, who's thirteen and two and just beat Louisville this past weekend. They lost to Butler, who's fourteen and one. That was on the road. They lost to Utah State, who's thirteen and four. Which how have they played seventeen games already? That's, that's a lot of games. Uh, the one of those four losses that does stand out a little bit is UConn, who's only nine and five right now. But that's also a game that was on the road. So in general. Quality losses for Florida, and we know what kind of, you know, just consistency, even like post-Billy Donovan. It's just been a remarkably consistent program. And headlined all by Kerry Blackshear, whom you were working on a story about, who's kind of the stud and the fulcrum of everything this Florida team does. So I will cede the floor to you, and obviously without spoiling everything that's going to be in your story on Gamecock Central tomorrow, what can Carolina fans expect to see from Kerry Blackshear tomorrow? I mean, he's really damn good. I mean, he is so... Uh, he's impressive. Uh, you saw it at Virginia Tech last year, and um, there's a reason he's SEC preseason player of the year. Uh, I think he's leading the SEC in block, box plus minus at 11.8, um, averaging close to 15 points and nine rebounds a game, which is both top, I mean, top 10 in the SEC, I think, at this point. Uh, he's just, he's a guy that is consistent. He's not up and down. He's a guy that plays like, Sandarius Thornwell or Dwayne Notice when they were seniors. A guy that you kind of know what you're going to get day in and day out. And uh, Frank Martin talked about it on Monday. He has great hands. Uh, he gets to the foul free throw line a lot. He is top, I'm looking at it right now, um, top 11. He's 11th in the country. So out of every Division One player in fouls drawn per 40 minutes. So he gets to the line. Uh, if you're going to have one knock on him, it's he fouls a little too much. Second in the SEC in, in fouls. Um, committed, but he's a guy that you got to account for, and you're gonna put Mike Coatsar on him and tell him, "Hey, Mike, you got to make sure this guy, you know, doesn't get his, you know, 15 and nine because their guards have been inconsistent. Andrew Nimhard, Noah Locke are good. Scotty Lewis is good, um, but they're just not what Kerry Blackshear is. Um, and, and Andrew Nimhard actually and AJ Lawson are both on Team Canada, so they kind of know each other pretty well, too. Yeah, which would be kind of an interesting yeah. game within a game. And he's kind of – he's having the kind of season that I think Carolina fans, at least statistically, would be looking for. I think he had like a 15-5 and five maybe this weekend or something like that, kind of what you'd be expecting uh, from AJ Lawson week in and week out. But uh, real quick, if you were someone that just like fast-forwarded through the beginning of the podcast for some reason and then just started listening when you were describing Kerry Blackshear, we probably – Probably would have thought you were talking about Chris Silva last year. You yeah, know, fouls too much, really athletic, pretty efficient scorer, good rebounder, you know, defense, all those things. And if if you want to go ahead and extend that comparison, you say, well, Mike Coatsar is going to be the guy that has most of that defensive responsibility. It's like, hey, he had a pretty similar task probably in practice for like most of the last three years guarding a guy like Chris Silva. I don't know how much they would have ever actually yeah. matched up, but it sounds like probably athletically, probably a, a fair comparison. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Blackshire might be a little bit more polished than Chris Silva. Um, 
not taking anything away from Chris, but a little bit more polished, a little bit more of a reputation as a scorer. Uh, Chris could score, but I think he was more known for his defensive abilities and rebounding and rim protecting. But um, Blackshear's more of a scorer, a little bit more of an offensive, you know, design an offense around him to be better. But, I mean, you look at him, he's 6'10", 241, which is probably what Chris Silva was his... I'm going to look it up, but that, I think that's what Chris Silva was his senior year. So, yeah, you... There, the comparison is certainly there, and and Chris Silva was six nine two thirty four, so inch taller, about a little bit less than ten pounds heavier. So the comparison is there, and I think that Mike, who's been around Chris now for three four years, um, understands what it's going to take. And and weirdly enough, Blackshear was on that Virginia Tech team that came down and played those super secret scrimmages with mm. Buzz Williams. So Mike's gone against Kerry Blackshear before, just never in an, an official game setting. And this is going to be a real test for him. And you and I have both been, I think, very pleasantly surprised, very impressed with the kind of season that Mike Kotsar's had in terms of his offensive productivity. We know what kind of a defender he is, but he's, I mean, he's really been a fulcrum. And especially in that early part of the season when South Carolina couldn't really get into a good rhythm defensively, he was, he's a guy that's kind of always been there, been very consistent. This is going to be the stiffest test that he's had to face all year. Uh, random note on Kerry Blackshear. I just noticed this when I was doing a little research this morning. Last year, he averaged 14.9 points a game in like you know 35 games or something like that. And this year he is averaging exactly 14.9 points per game, um, which is super random. And obviously only what are they played 13 games? So I don't I don't know. That doesn't mean anything. I just think well, it's, when you extrapolate, it's an average. So I mean I guess it's like I said, consistent. Yeah, he's I right mean, there. Incredibly consistent. He's gotten his rebounds up. Uh, his shooting percentages are down a little bit. Both his or actually I think his three point percentage is down like half a percentage point. Uh, his overall field goal percentage is down a couple of percentage points, which you know comes as the territory of having to shoulder a little bit bigger burden on the offense. But I think the other thing that you look at this Florida team and scares you a little bit if you're a Carolina fan, it's not just Kerry Blackshear. As good as he is, as many different things as he does, um, I think he was averaging three assists a game last year. This year, that's like around like one and a half or two, maybe. I have it right in front of me. 1.7. Yeah, so he's a guy that, that kind of does it all. 0.8 steals uh, per game, half a block per game. He does it all, but you have four or three other guys, four total guys for Florida that are averaging at least 10 points per game. Uh, Keontae Johnson, you already mentioned Andrew Nimhard, and then Noah Locke are all averaging 10-plus points a game. So if it's not Blackshear getting like an 18 or 20, there are other guys that could hurt you, makes it more dangerous to double him, to really key in on him. And I think that's that's the danger of this Florida team. It's even different because, uh, again, Blackshear is really good, but it's different than when you play Georgia. When it's like, okay, stop Anthony Edwards, and Georgia was able so to win. Good shots. Yeah. Right. They, Georgia was able to pull off a win uh, this past weekend with Edwards only shooting 4 of 17 from the floor. But in general, that's going to be your game plan. You don't really have that same luxury against Florida. Yeah, and I think that your goal, if you're South Carolina, we'll get probably into this later, but your goal is they don't have a lot of bench minutes. Um, only 24.6% of their minutes come from guys off the bench. So you're starting five of Nimhard, Locke, Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, and Blackshear are going to shorter a lot of your minutes. So if you shrink that rotation and get some guys in foul trouble, like a Blackshear who fouls a lot more than he probably needs to, you feel good about your chances. And, you know, it, it's easier said than done with Florida because Nimhard is a guy that's very similar to A.J. Lawson who has will probably could go pro after this year. Locke is incredibly talented. Lewis is a really good freshman. Um, Keontae Johnson's obviously productive, but they're young too. Uh, I'm looking at it right here. Blackshear's a obviously a, a fifth-year senior, but Keontae Johnson's a sophomore. Scotty Lewis is a freshman. Noah Locke's a sophomore. Andrew Nemhard's a sophomore. So 
they're kind of in the same boat experience wise as South Carolina. They're 344th in experience. So that's, I mean, out of 353 teams. So they're young, and if you can kind of rattle them a little bit, I think that you feel good about where you are. But it's, like I said, the talent is there. Um, if they get on a run, they can go on a run. Uh, but, you know, South Carolina's got their work cut out for them because this is a, I mean, it's a top 30 team in Ken Palm. It's very, they're cohesive. Um, they don't have a lot of continuity, but the guys that have played together, the Nimhard and Locke played a lot together last year, same with Keontae Johnson. So three of your starting five have had a year of experience together, and there's really not been that many injuries to kind of derail them, kind of similar to what Lawson and Ed Bryant and those guys did earlier in the season where you didn't get that continuity early. It's a game that is really important that I think Carolina gets this one at home against some of the other teams like against Kentucky. It's nice having that at home, but I mean, that's, that, that's Kentucky. That's going to be hard no matter what. And not that the Florida game is not going to be hard, but it feels like there are enough similarities between these teams. You know, like there's, there's a one game difference. They both played 13 games. Carolina's eight and four Flor- or eight and five. Florida's nine and four. You look at the stats. It's like points against Florida allows 65.3 points against South Carolina, 64.8 field goal percentage. It's three-tenths of a percentage difference. It's 44% for Florida, 43.7 for South Carolina. Rebounds per game, it's 38.7, 36.9. Uh, blocks per game, 3.8 for Florida, 4.5 for Carolina, so they actually have a margin there. Steals per game, Carolina is just a tick under 8. Florida, 6.5. You look at uh, assists per game, South Carolina is just a tick under 14. Florida's just a tick over 11. So statistically very similar, but the difference has been Florida's playmakers have been consistent been able to make those plays. South Carolina's guys have been a little bit inconsistent. We talked about Jagger Bolden not scoring against Stetson. AJ Lawson obviously not playing a lot of minutes down the stretch in that game. And even though Kotsar has been, you know, very, very good, you know, by his standards, he's still not quite a double digit scoring in terms of his average. His value is more just like kind of his his on the court leadership and not even in a vocal way, just being in the right place at the right time, organizing the defense. Um, and that's kind of been the difference. And I, I think however this plays out Tuesday night, it's going to be which set of playmakers makes more plays, which sounds dumb, but it's going to be the top end guys really making the difference. You'd have to give the edge to Florida because they've been doing it, but you say at home, you know, maybe, you know, AJ Lawson's a little more comfortable playing at home. Maybe this is Keyshawn Bryant having a little bit of a bounce back after, you know, a poor Stetson game, or maybe this is the one game and get one game per year that you get where Mike Kozar decides to score 25, like <laughs> the, Mississippi the State last year. 12, yeah. yeah. I think this is going to come down to who gets to impose their will a little bit. They'd like to play two different styles. Florida's very slow, very methodical in what they do. Uh, just in terms of pace, they're only averaging 66.6 possessions per game. That's three lower than the national average, so they're very slow. Um, and where South Carolina kind of wants to get out and get after you in transition. So it's really a matter of who can control the pace of the game, who has to play the opponent's style. And if because if South Carolina gets into a half court, I mean, we saw it against Stetson. It was not good. So either those problems have to get fixed or you got to play fast. Yeah, and if you can't win a half-court battle with Stetson, you're not going to yeah, win like, against Florida. Yeah, a team that's that has Sweet 16 talent on yeah, it. So. A top 30 team versus a bottom 30 team. Yeah, and, and you have to be able to get out and play fast and create and transition because Florida just – they don't do that. And I think this is a benefit of getting it at home. Florida's only played two away games, true away games this year, and lost both of them at Connecticut and then at Butler. Uh, the rest of their losses have come. One was at home to Florida State, and the other was on a neutral court. So, and they played what four or five neutral court games. So, getting it at home with a young team that really hasn't played in this kind of environment this season, 
I think is big. And if you can get out, and we'll talk about it later, but you know, if you can get out and play your style and not have to be limited in terms of just what Florida's trying to make you do, which is slow it down and play like Virginia wanted you to play, then you know that kind of probably helps you out a, a great deal when you're trying to beat a team that's borderline top 25. One of the interesting things to watch in this game as well, you know, in addition to the difference in style of play and tempo and things like that, you mentioned that Florida doesn't get necessarily a lot of production, doesn't demand a lot of production from their bench. They only have eight guys that are averaging at least 10 minutes a game, where South Carolina has 11 guys that are averaging at least 10 minutes a game. I mentioned just a second ago, I think this is going to be a top-end game. Part of the reason I say that is Carolina should just by the math of like playing more guys and you know having good productivity from Cousinard lately, from Hannibal lately, uh, from Levesque in somewhat limited minutes in the last couple weeks, they should just sort of win that by default. Um, and I, you feel like that gives you a little bit of an advantage, but you say, well, Florida's starting five is probably a little bit better than Carolina's starting five, so that should balance out, which is what leads me to think it's basically just going to be on Bryant and Lawson to really – uh, make a difference in this game. But the one thing that I wonder, since you and I talked about this uh, a little bit last week, just in terms of South Carolina starting to shorten its rotation, um, one of those 11 guys that is averaging 10-plus minutes per game is Jalen McCreary, who hasn't played the last couple games. I guess the last game he played was against Houston, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So that one you know, doesn't totally count. But you wonder if this is like when you start to see South Carolina trim that rotation a little more. Like Florida's basically going to play eight guys. Is this going to be when Carolina plays eight guys? Or do you think they, they try to take advantage of that, stretch it out a little bit more, and really make the bench margin so significant that that's where they win the game? I think that you're going to see – I think it will depend on the game flow. It always does with Frank Martin. It always does with his teams. If AJ's out there giving you 25 and Keyshawn's giving you 15 and Mike's giving you eight, I mean, if your starters are performing and you're getting efficient offense from them, then you keep them in you ride that hot hand as long as you go. But if you put Trey Hannibal in – or TJ Moss, or Jermaine Kustarn, if he plays, he's dealing with a bad back. If you put those guys in and they're going off for 25 a game, you know, tomorrow night, then you put those guys in. I think that that's the benefit you have with South Carolina is you do have options. And right now I don't think Florida has the same amount of options. And that's to South Carolina's benefit if, if you're going to look at it on the whole. And, you know, Florida doesn't have a Jermaine Kustarn or a Trey Hannibal right now. Uh, or a Wilden's effect. They have five really good guys, and then their rotations is a lot of serviceable ones. So uh, if you can make them get into their bench and play their bench, you know, five or six, you know, three or four guys play 15 minutes, then you feel good about the fact that because when those guys are playing, that means Locke's not. That means Nimhard's not. That means Blackshear might not be able to. So um, that's a big deal. I don't know who the officials are for this game, but that could be a, a huge factor. And I, I say that, like, a little bit tongue in cheek, because you know college officiating South is Carolina's such a crapshoot. South Carolina's hoping for Doug Shaw. <laughs> Something Joe like that, because I remember you know watching the Auburn. I guess when Auburn came to Columbia last year, and South Carolina was able to pull off that upset. I mean, the the foul trouble that Auburn got in early in that game was a huge factor, and that, like you're saying, just because Florida doesn't necessarily have the depth, or at least you know the I guess the the proven depth, mm -hmm. that could end up being a huge factor for Carolina, because again they're already. They already just should, by the math, should be winning uh, sort of the bench margin. So if you can mitigate what those starting five are going to do, that that's going to be a huge part of it. The other thing that I wonder, in, in terms of the difference in pace, and we've seen South Carolina do this a little bit, not a ton, because this isn't totally Frank Martin's style, but we've seen them at times be really aggressive, um, you know, defensively, basically trapping as soon as opponent uh, opposing ball handlers cross midcourt. I don't know if you feel better or worse. You know, you have a guy in Andrew Nimhart who's a good, proven ball handler, like you mentioned, you know, teammate with A.J. Lawson. So there is some familiarity there. I wonder if they feel better or worse 
you know, getting the ball out of his hands versus knowing that he's probably going to be able to make the right pass and then Florida's playing a man up and sort of giving them that advantage. Or if it's, a, you know, a little bit more conservative, you know, sitting back, letting Florida take those shots, which it slows the game down. It's, it's, a, it's a, maybe a safer approach, a more conservative approach. I, I guess I just wonder how aggressive they're going to be in trying to speed this game up, get out in transition, force those turnovers, force steals, as opposed to just you know playing it safe and trying to keep it low scoring in a more traditional way. I think you're going to see something similar to what they did against Virginia. Uh, Virginia and Florida play similar pace-wise. So I think you're going to see them try to get some open court opportunities. I think you're going to try to see them force some steals. Uh, and if you can't, do it in the first you know five, six seconds after they cross half court. Then get back, set up on your man-to-man, and then work from there. So uh, I think Trey Hannibal is going to He'll have to have a big game. I think you're going to have to see some... If South Carolina gets 10-plus turnovers, steals, whatever, you feel pretty good about South Carolina just being able to be in the game. Um, And then I think you're going to see some trapping. Uh, They do a lot of trapping now in the low post, which are on the baseline near the basket, which I haven't seen a whole lot of. So I think they're going to try to double Kerry Blackshear, maybe force him to make a bad pass, uh, make Andrew Nimhar try to make a bad pass. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're going to see something similar to Virginia and less so, some, something similar. More Virginia and less Stetson in terms of what they were able to do defensively. Well, that's good news for Carolina fans. Yes, you, you want to hope. Rem- <laughs> yeah, you you want to remember the Virginia game. You want to forget the Stetson game. Uh, and in terms of how South Carolina is going to attack in the half court, uh, we kind of know what they do, and it's just going to be – I mean, this season, it sounds it sounds like, like, a really, like a real oversimplification, but it's about making shots. Yeah, Carolina, for the most part, you know, they didn't against Stetson. There have been times when, especially early in the season, when they weren't even generating good looks. But it feels like they've gotten into a, a little bit better rhythm, and it's it's less about, you know, creating those good shots and more about just whether or not you hit them. You know, Jair Bolden was, was scoreless, and yeah, they didn't create as many good shots against Stetson as they had in the last couple of weeks, you know, against Virginia and against Clemson. But there were still a lot of open shots that they missed. And I hate saying that a basketball game is going to come down to, you know, guys making shots or missing missing shots. But it, it feels like if Lawson is in there, if he's creating, there are, are usually enough margins that Carolina can create those shots. They seem to have found enough of a rhythm, again, that Stetson game sort of notwithstanding, that they should be able to break down this Florida defense. Yeah, I think that, number one, I think they're going to be more locked in than they were against Stetson. I think that this was kind of a wake-up call that, hey, we can't just roll a ball out there and go win. So I think you're going to see that, and I think you're going to see more of the offense you grew used to seeing in December just because, you know, they didn't get the ball into the paint a whole lot against Stetson, and they settled for some really bad threes, and I think you're going to want to get the ball to Mike Coatsar, to Justin Minai at the four to try and get Kerry Blackshear into some foul trouble, and I think you're going to – that thing that opens up everything. When you can get it into the into the lane and – kick from there, or have Mike Coatsar go up or pass or whatever, it kind of opens things up for South Carolina's offense. And if you can get some points out of it and get some foul trouble from Blackshear or um, Keontae Johnson, then more power to you. But this will be more of a typical South Carolina offense, what this team wants to look like in the half court compared to what you saw against Stetson. The one thing that worries you a little bit, I think, as well, given that Mike Coatsar is going to be kind of the centerpiece of what South Carolina does defensively, not just because he's always doing that, but because Florida's going to want to go through Blackshear. Carolina's priority is going to be stopping Blackshear. Mike Coatsar is going to be his primary defender. If he's doing so much work on the defensive end, how much is he going to have left for the offensive side? Now, there's some guys where it's like, you know, they get it going on offense that helps their defense and vice versa, and it's just sort of a symbiosis. But for Coatsar, who's already the minutes leader for South Carolina, who's already – 
I, maybe I don't know if this is entirely fair to say, but maybe like overperforming what he should be doing offensively because he's like I said, he's scoring about ten points a game. I think it's nine point six or nine point seven on the season. I, I wonder if if it's fair to expect him to to pour in his like regular ten, or if because of the increased defensive responsibility, he's going to have to stay take a step back. And if that's the case. Where does the rest of that scoring from, especially, as you mentioned, that post-scoring and at least those post-touches? Yeah, the, that's a good question. That's why I don't make the big bucks. I mean, you'd like to think that A.J. Lawson rebounds. You'd like to think that Jair Bolden rebounds, and they combine to you know give you 25 to 30 points. Um, you'd like to think that Keyshawn Bryan has a good game, like he did last time against Florida. So if Mike Coates, are, I think, is going to be more valuable defensively, against Florida than he will be offensively. And that's not going to take away anything from his offenses, offensive abilities. But I think that he's more important on a defensive end to try to stop Kerry Blackshear. Which says to me, I wonder if, again, Carolina's looked good with Manaya at the four. And I think you and I both like the idea of, of the versatility that adds. And, you know, Manaya has not been a good three-point shooter this year, but has been earlier in his career. So you feel like, you know, the theoretical possibility is still there. And he can knock down a shot when he needs to. I guess it was... He had the uh, he had a big three at Virginia, and yeah, then he Virginia, had another yeah. one against Stetson. That was the one that cut it to two, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So he's he's shown the ability to at least hit those shots in timely situations. But I wonder if this is not going to be a game where we see. I always want to see more Levesque, and and so I, I just always hope to see more him because he's cool and exciting and yeah. fun. But I this this feels kind of like a Frank game to me because he's going to be a guy. I mean, he's he's continues to be good offensively, not great defensively. But if he and Coates are on the floor at the same time. Frank won't have to worry about Blackshear because that's always going to go to Kotsar. And on the other end, you're not going to have to worry about Kotsar being as involved because, again, I'm just worried about him getting worn down on the defensive end of the floor. You give it to Frank, that's some post-touches there. And and maybe even a little bit more, is it fair to say, consistent post-offense? I know he doesn't score as much as Kotsar, but he doesn't play as much. He's not as involved in the offense. But it just feels like when he gets down there, he's got a nice touch. He's got that nice little you know, turnaround jump hook. He's got good touch and, and generally soft hands around the basket. This feels like a game where he could be a, a big difference maker in yeah. the offense, at least. Yeah, and Alonzo, I mean, he's leading the team in offensive rating right now. He's the most efficient offensive player on this team, statistically I didn't speaking. know that, but yeah. I'm glad you have that stat. Um, so, yeah, I think that you trade some of the defensive stuff there, and, you know, you want Alonzo. I think he's hitting, like, 67% from two this year. I mean, he's arguably the team's best shooter from inside, so... You want him on the court. I think you're going to see a lot of him. Um, I think you're going to want him on there because then if they have to put Blackshear on him, Keontae Johnson's, I think that's, yeah, Keontae Johnson's just 6'5". So if they switch him and you're putting Kotsar out there, then you throw it back to Kotsar and he's got a mismatch. So you really, I mean, if no, granted this comes with Alonzo having, you know, being able to officially stay out there for long periods of time defensively. So, yeah, I think it'd be a good idea to, put him out there and if not then you you rotate him in with Justin Manaya who's a much better defender than Frank is and maybe a less offensive threat I don't necessarily expect him to start actually I don't expect him to start at all if he were to start I would be shocked but if he is one of the top five minutes getters in this game he being Frank that wouldn't surprise me at all this feels like a game that if this goes Carolina's way he could end up with a with a season high in minutes and again not because I think not because I don't think Manai is going to be good out there. Obviously, he's a, he's a good matchup. He's a good rebounder. And the theoretical shooting that he provides for South Carolina could be huge. Um, but I, I think it's just, I think like you're saying, it's going to be really important the way that South Carolina has struggled in the half court to get those post touches, to actually make defenses be honest. So they can't just kind of, you know, sit there and wait until Carolina takes a bad three and then contest it because that's going to be a, a, a big difference. And it's nice, I guess, for Carolina having a couple 
couple options down there, improving low post guys. You have Frank around for a year, and obviously Coates is going to be in there. And uh, this doesn't feel as much like a Levesque game to me, which makes me I kind a of want it to be though. I know. Like, I love I, I love watching him play yeah. just because it's so. I mean. You throw him out there and it's bull in a china shop mm-hmm. with him trying to post up. Now the one thing that that I wonder and I will say, if it's if it is a if it is kind of a what's his name Frank. Yeah. <laughs> if it is a Frank game and he's not out there with Kozar, if Kozar's either in foul trouble or just sitting because you know he does that. Frank Martin lets him sit for like you know almost four minutes a game sometimes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which is amazing. Big. But could this be a you know a little more Levesque at the five, Frank at the four, and again just for the defensive part of it, so that you don't ask Frank to match up with Blackshear because one Blackshear's going to eat his lunch. Sorry, yeah. Alonzo, if you're listening to this or Alonzo's parents, just, you know, he's not the defensive player right now to be able to handle. You don't feel comfortable putting Alonzo Frank onto that. Right. Kind of and you don't want to, you don't want to put him in a position where he might be getting into foul trouble, especially if he is someone that is hopefully going to be helping you on the offensive end of the floor. I just feel like that's going to be a, a difference maker. I'm, I'm almost leaning towards, I've talked myself into it. I hadn't even thought about this before we started recording, but I'm leaning towards that being sort of my reverse jinx. But um, we did this for the Virginia game. And you were exactly right. If I told you that we're going to sit here on Thursday afternoon talking about South Carolina beating Florida, upsetting Florida, I think the line, well, I don't know if there's a line, but I think it's, it'll probably be like a what, five and a half, something like that. Yeah, Ken, uh, Ken Palm's got it at a 70 to 65 Florida win. Okay, all right, cool. So yeah. right around yeah. there, yeah. Um, if, I, if we're sitting here Thursday talking about the Florida game in South Carolina having pulled off the upset, the player for the game will be. Oof. Or player of the game. I don't know why I said for the game. Player of the game will be. Wow. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw AJ Lawson into that. Yeah. Yeah. Frank is a very close second, along with Jair Bolden. Uh, but we already reversed Jinx Jair Bolden. <laughs> That's so. True. so you get one a year. Um, <laughs> We're going to run out of players real yeah, quick. Yeah. <laughs> you get one. How about this? You get one a month. Okay. So All right. Cool. We're, you know, four, last four weeks. Uh, just because he was so bad against Stetson, uh, eye test wise. Um, has had a long week kind of waiting for this moment. I think he's ready to kind of go out there and show people, like, hey, I'm here. Like, I, that that was a fluke against Stetson, and this will be um, my kind of game. When you look, you know, against – he had a bad game against Houston, came back and played pretty well against Clemson and pretty well against Virginia, and then had a bad game against Stetson, and I think he's going to play pretty well to start SEC play. So I'd say I'd say A.J. Lawson. A.J. Lawson. All with right, a very close Frank second. So is that who are you going to cast your reverse jinx on AJ Lawson then? Why not? Okay. Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, yeah. I'm going to go I'm going to go the other way. You, I'm going to go with your number 2 for who would be my player of the game if South Carolina pulls this off and my reverse jinx for Alonzo Frank. Like I said, I'm I'm going to predict a season high in minutes for him, season high in points. I don't know what his previous season high in points All is. Right. So I'm looking at it right now. His <laughs> points um 12 against Northern Iowa. Okay. All right, cool. Uh he scored double digits four times this year. <laughs> Wyoming uh, Cleveland State, uh, Gardner-Webb, and Northern Iowa, but has not scored in double figures since then. Has he played more than 24 minutes in a game this year? Once. 25 minutes against Cleveland State. Okay. But has not. Right, cool. He's never played more than 20 minutes since then. All right. So I'm going to, yeah, 26 Oh, no, minutes. He's played, he played 21 against Clemson. I'm sorry. Okay, but no more than 25. So he's going yeah. to play 26 minutes. He's going to score 14 points, have six rebounds. He's going to be the difference maker in this game. That's my, Well, actually, but if we're going to do reverse jinx, I have to say – uh, Alonzo Frank, who is you know just flashed, hasn't been able to do it consistently, and I don't think that he's going to be able to get it going against Florida, even though Carolina's going to need it. So you just prices right at him. You just took his like season high and everything, and like added like yeah, just, one, like, just yeah. add one to it basically. That's what I did. I actually won something in middle school doing that. It was one of those like guess really? the jelly beans thing, and I'm I like so looked, bad at those. But I did. I found the largest one. Uh-huh. 
and one-upped them, the Price is Right method. That's such an awful thing to do, but I feel like that's the way to go if I was ever on Price is Right. 100%. That or the $1 bid. But it's like you're, you're like torn between I'm like such an asshole if I do this, but also it's the most effective way to like maybe win and like Yeah, like, like Candace someone. next to me who's like this like 60-year-old woman who's like dreamed of being on the Price is Right. I'm going to ruin her day, but I also want that refrigerator really, really yeah. bad. So is it is it strategy or is it ethics? A little bit of both. I go I, I go with I go with strategy over ethics. Yeah, no. In if, that case. But if I, it's something I want though, like if it's one of those like you know dressers things or whatever, like I'm not gonna do that to this like nice old lady. But if it's something, if it's a car, yeah, you better believe that I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna bid the one dollar. I'm gonna build the one over. Damn straight. Yeah. Learning a lot about Colin Taylor over the yeah. course of this podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So it's it's kind of a it's a funny. I don't know cognitive dissonance i don't know what it is it's really strange because we we've had this conversation about carolina several times we're going to have it many more times because this is always going to be the blueprint for south carolina to beat teams in in games that they're underdogs you want to control the pace and play at a faster pace carolina plays better when they can run when they can play in the open court when they can play in transition and semi-transition but at the same time Carolina is not going to win 104 to 98 game yeah, like they're not winning against Alabama. Not so it's so weird to say you need to run, you need to play with a with a really high tempo and a lot of pace, but also somehow still keep the game low scoring. But that feels like the formula. So I, again, I'll ask you: if we're sitting here on Thursday talking about South Carolina pulling off the upset against Florida, the final score will be something like probably mid 70s to or yeah, mid 70s, high 60s. I think if you're South Carolina, you want to play really, really fast offensively, but slow things as far down as you can possibly go on the defensive side of things. Make Florida work for everything they get, um, because when they do that, then they're less efficient. And Florida is an incredibly efficient team right now. So if you take down their efficiency numbers, force them into bad shots, which South Carolina has been able to do this year, force teams into bad shots. They did it against Virginia. They've done it against good teams. Uh, then you feel pretty good about where you are. Um, but, yeah, if you're South Carolina, as many open court opportunities as you can get, get. Trey Hannibal needs to play. If I'm the coach for this, he's playing, you know, 18 to 20 minutes just because he's so good at creating some of those loose balls. Same with Keyshawn Bryant and A.J. Lawson. So, you know, where Jair Bolden fit into that, who knows. But I really think that this game suits – Trey Hannibal well because he's going to need to they're going to need to force some open court things because if you get into a half court battle with Florida the tempo is going to slow down tremendously and you are not going to be able to execute as well as you could probably in the open court and Hannibal forces some turnovers that they have the kinds of turnovers you don't see a lot like there was one I think there was one against Virginia and I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened basically he was like defending his guy somebody was dribbling around him it's like i don't know if hannibal's getting screened and, and just like worked over the screen or whatever he just but, popped, yeah and he just like popped the ball it's like oh you weren't even like defending like i didn't even know you were looking over there and somehow like you get the ball out and it creates a transition opportunity for carolina he's just so fun and i feel bad now because i'm sitting here and like 15 minutes ago i was like yeah this is going to be all about the top ends like how does aj you know aj versus nimhard and blackshear versus coats are and I, I really do believe that's the matchup but i'm i'm sitting here and i cast my reverse jinx on alanzo frank and now I'm sitting here talking about how important Trey Hannibal is. But I could also see this. I guess when I say like your top five guys, I could see Carolina's top five players in minutes being Mike Kotsar, Lanzo Frank, Keyshawn Bryant, AJ Lawson, and Trey Hannibal. Like, Absolutely. Like that lineup, I wonder if we will. I don't know if we've seen any minutes with those five guys on the court at the same time. But Hannibal at point, Lawson at the two, Bryant at the three, 
Frank at four, and Coates are at five. That gives you a little bit of everything. I yeah. really haven't sit down, sat down to talk, think about it, but, I mean, you get your rebounding from Keyshawn and Mike and Alonzo to a degree from the offensive side, and you get your scoring from, you know, AJ and Keyshawn and Alonzo, and then you get everything else from kind of <laughs> little bits and pieces here and there. So. Yeah, I mean, like your two, probably your two best defenders are, are bookending your defense there with Coates are at the five and Hannibal at yeah. the one. Which is again, like I, I don't know, if, I don't know how much, I don't know if you have access to just like all the lineups that Carolina's played, or if do that would I have access. To, yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know, I don't know how how, how well oh, they yeah. keep the stats for college. I know, like you can look up those kinds of things for uh, for NBA, but I don't have access to those uh, yeah. kinds of things. And, and but we've talked about you know just how much depth they're they have, or at least theoretical depth, and how many different lineups they can play and have played. There are probably a ton of like really interesting lineups that we haven't seen a huge sample size of, just because. There's so many different possible permutations, but I'd be curious to know how many minutes that particular lineup has played uh, in you know, like what their plus minus is and like when they've played it. Cause that seems like a really interesting lineup with a lot of potential that, like I said, I wonder if we will see a good bit of that. Cause that does feel like it could match up well with this Florida team. So I'm looking at the top most frequent lineups over the past five games, which is what Ken Palm gives you. There's only one lineup where I'm seeing Trey Hannibal in it and it's been used three point, Five percent of the time, uh, with Hannibal at the one, Lawson at the two, Brian at the three, Coates are at the five. Do we know who the four is? Uh, Manaya. It'd be the Manaya. Okay. Yeah. So, right, so we're basically very just close. plugging Frank in for Manaya. Yeah. Um, it doesn't give us any plus minus there, but I mean, it, that seems like a pretty productive. I would think that that'd be a pretty productive lineup. Yeah. Three point five percent isn't a lot. I wonder. I can't remember. I mean, when fairness, they would have played off the top of my head, but yeah, in fairness though, the most frequently used is a nine percent. So Frank loves to, I mean, yeah, with yeah. the way Frank substitutes and all that, mm-hmm. you're not getting a lineup in there for more than ten percent of the time. That's and true. The, the the starting lineup is the one that's been used nine percent of the time. Yeah. So. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, that is going to be that's Tuesday night at seven. It's going to happen yeah. one way or the other. Now, the other thing that we discussed is South Carolina can get through these first five games. And be two and three, and it not necessarily be over. But if you start one and zero, and you beat Florida again, we saw it last year. That was the turning point. Is it is it too poetic? Is it too much to ask for that to be the turning point for South Carolina two years in a row? I don't know. Um, it's also bad that we're even talking about it as a turning point because if Carolina had just beaten Stetson, we wouldn't be talking about a turning point. You're talking about continuing momentum, but you now have to build that back up from the ground yeah. up. It's it's interesting because I mean, eight and five without a loss to Stetson completely different than the eight and five with a loss to Stetson. And we're talking complete, two completely different narratives at that point. And that's the weird part about this team is you just don't know. We were talking about it today before Frank's thing. If, if South Carolina comes out and wins by 20 or loses by 10, I wouldn't be shocked by other result just because you don't know what you're going to get from this team night in and night out. And it's going to be fun. Whatever happens this year, it's going to be fun just because of the cast of characters that are involved and just the up-and-down nature of it. And I can't wait to see kind of what happens. And hopefully the CLA is bumping, and you can buy beer there now. Yeah. They've had two women's games. Or, one. Oh, just, just one. one. The other one's yeah, on the road. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You've had one women's game there, and you were able to sell alcohol, and it was great, and everyone had a good time, and nobody got thrown out that I know of. Yes. Um, you are going to be on press row, as you always are. Yes. All the Carolina games that I've been to, and I've been to most of the home games this year. I didn't go to the Stetson game. I've just gone and sat in the seats as a fan. I guess you probably can't drink on press row. Is that... Something tells me I'd get some dirty looks if I was drinking. I'm not paying $8 for a beer. Anymore. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, for for the rest of you, and I, I probably won't either because I'm uh, doing dry January 
I'm proud of you. To atone for my... I could not. I don't think I could do that. I know. Well, it's... Oh, God. It, it's it's like... I don't drink that regularly. I'm Like, when I go to the doctor and it's like, how often do you drink? I'm like, three to four drinks a week or something like that. So, yeah, but that still seems like a lot. Like, I'm always weird to, like, put that because I'm like, then that still seems like a lot. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, like, I don't know, I have a glass of wine with dinner, like, one or two nights and then, like, I'll go have a couple beers, like, you know, on the weekend yeah, or something like that. Bit, yeah. Um, but it was just like December just got so out of hand so quick. Well, yeah. So many Christmas parties this year. Christmas Way more than parties and friends coming into town. Yeah. You know. So anyway, so that, that, that's not going to affect my viewing experience necessarily until February. But I hope it's got everyone else, you know, hype. And I hope the CLS packed. It's going to be a fun game. It should be a close game. And ESPN's BPI has uh, Florida with a 73.2% chance to win. Although, as you mentioned, Kimpom said it's about a five-point game. Yeah. And Carolina had a 10% chance to win that Virginia game. And they won that thing comfortably honestly you never so know it's, it's weird at this point in the year you just never know with the south carolina team there are probably going to be a lot of themes that emerge over the course of uh, you and i doing this podcast and one of them that i will say right now and i'll hopefully remember to say this every single episode of the podcast we do for the rest of the season i would not bet on south carolina basketball this year I no just, i wouldn't touch it no there's just way too much uncertainty and i'm usually pretty bullish about you know like i was I mean, I was wrong, but I was at least bullish on some South Carolina football betting predictions this year. Uh, but College basketball in general, though, is such a weird sport to yeah. bet because you just never know. And these spreads, half the time these people know, it's just an algorithm they plug it into. and you right. just, It's a crapshoot. Yeah, you never know when Jair Bolden's going to go for 22 or when he's going to go for zero. Yeah. And it might be just as simple as that for the rest it's of the season flip. for South Carolina. But, uh, I mean, do, I don't know. Do you feel like they're going to win or no? Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think it'll be close. I mean, most of these Florida games usually are pretty close going into the last media timeout. So I think if South Carolina is leading or within two or three at the final media timeout, yeah, I'll say they win. Is it weird that I feel worse about this game than I did the Virginia game About in terms of Carolina's chances? That's fair. I think Florida's a better team than Virginia at this point in the season. Yeah, certainly more threatening offensively. Yes, absolutely more threatening offensively. All right, well. Basketball's weird. Yeah, sorry to end on a, on a negative note if you're someone that's looking for a little optimism for South Carolina. Look, fact of the matter is, like we said several times now, they can do it. Uh, I don't feel great about it, but regardless of what happens, Colin and I will be back on Thursday to discuss the Florida game, and then South Carolina takes their first road trip of the season, going up to Knoxville on Saturday. I am. Yeah. Are you, wait, you're going too? Yeah, we'll be okay, there. Good. Yeah, because you, you go to most drive, all the, most of the all drivable, drivable ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. So, you, so not A&M. Not A&M, not Missouri, mm. uh, not Arkansas. But. I did the A&M football trip this year and ate some great barbecue. That is, really, I, I know you always like trip. to find the barbecue. I love that trip yeah. so much. That was the first time I'd been to College Station. It was really It's cool. a weird place to watch a football game, but I like it. Yeah, oh, it was because of all the like, all, like borderline cult-like it's crowd kind of participation. Yeah. It's, I, it's a little bit creepy, but it's cool. Yeah, no, I love it. And like, the press box shakes during like their Aggie war hymn. Mm. Still does it at baseball, too. I've never been for basketball, but like the, you can feel it kind of shake when they're doing their rocking and singing and all that fun stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, but you'll be up in Knoxville this weekend, so we'll be back yes. on Thursday to break down whatever happens in this Florida game and then give a little bit of a preview for that Tennessee game. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and thank you so much. By the way, did you find out who uh, who we get to credit yeah, for? Yeah, I tagged it on Twitter. Okay. Um, missed see. it. Was it. Was it Michael? Michael Beckham? It was not, unfortunately. Okay, because he really liked the stuff. name. Yeah, he yeah. liked that. He's mentioned that on a thread, I guess, on our last podcast on I the Insider that. Forum. Beckham had some good ones, um, but not as good as Hard Foul. That was that's that's elite. That's like eighty grade right there. That's it's perfect. It's uh, the Corp Raider one. The Corp Raider one. Okay. Yes. Well, uh, thank you so much for the name. 
uh, we're sticking with it. And there's your, uh, there's your shout out. Sorry, we didn't get that last time, but we got around to it. And, uh, for all of you for listening, thank you so much. Rate, review, subscribe, all the great stuff on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'll be back with Wes and Chris on Wednesday. And like I said, we got to get you in on this too, because I'm very curious to get your thoughts. We'll probably have a, a super special megapod of another Carolina worlds podcast. Colliding. Yeah, worlds colliding. It'll be a collab podcast to discuss teams of the decade, which has been something fun that y'all been doing on Gamecock Central. Um, all right, how many more times can I tell you to rate, review, subscribe? Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.